Hey everyone, Raven here with another episode of Plants Save My Life. This week, I sit down with Brian Bino Adams, who shares his story of how medical cannabis helped him find profound relief from sickle cell disease. Brian is a loud and proud advocate and dedicated educator in the medical cannabis space. He also serves as the Director of Education for the Harrington Institute for Cannabis Education. Brian is also the host of the Blaze and Enthused podcast. Today, he and I will be discussing his personal experiences with medical cannabis and how this plant has led him on this path. So let's welcome Brian to the show. Also, a quick disclaimer, while I make every effort to broadcast correct information, I myself am still learning. I promise to double check all my facts, but I realize that plant medicine is a constantly changing science and art. So the views and opinions expressed on this show are intended purely for educational and informative purposes. No topics are intended to be construed as medical advice. Thanks again for being able to come on to the podcast and be able to share your experience, Brian. I mean, of course, I know you because we've collaborated at the Harrington Institute, but I also know you're a medical cannabis patient as well as a diehard advocate and an educator. So if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself for the listeners? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Raven, for having me on the show. It's a fantastic production you got jumping off here, and I definitely appreciate listening. Uh, I am a fan. So having me on the pod is uh, coming full circle for you, boy. So thank you so much. Uh, yeah, but, you know, just for the listeners, uh, as far as how I came to cannabis and, you know, how it saved my life, as it were, I would actually take that back to when I was born. Let's be honest. Um, I was pretty much uh, w- since birth, I've had sickle cell anemia and that's uh, a blood disorder that uh, mostly folks of African descent or African-American folks have. Uh, it's it's when your parents either have the condition or they both have the trait. So both parents can have the trait and it's a toss up whether the child will have the full blown disease or the trait themselves. I have a sibling, my sister, uh, my sister, Sasha. Hey, Sasha. She had the trait. So she got lucky. I ended up with sickle cell C type. And um, I I was able to find out that it was C type as far as the spectrum is concerned, based on my wife's work and research. She was actually working with the sickle cell anemia uh, group here in Ohio um, with Ira Bragg. And I've known Ira Bragg for such a long time since I was a kid. I actually had two blood transfusions when I was a child. Um, you know, so I probably may or may not have been here uh, if they weren't successful and, and all that good stuff. So um, yeah, I was probably too young to know what was going on. And actually, I, I don't even know if I do recall, but my mom tells me, you know, as a very young child, I was able, I had to have two separate blood transfusions, uh, but I have been good ever since. And um, I haven't been using cannabis that long, obviously, but um, it, you know, when we go back really far, cannabinoids are being produced in the breast milk. Cannabinoids are very important for brain development, uh, even though you don't want the developing brain to be exposed to certain cannabinoids, right? It's a very uh, slippery slope, if you will. Uh, And I am not a medical expert before folks uh, start writing you in and uh, saying all that. And you do a fabulous disclaimer uh, at the top of this, so we we should be covered. But um, I know that anecdotally that cannabis has brought me to a better quality of life when I compare it to when I was just a young child. Um, I've just recently become a cannabis patient. So, you know, 
over the last three years, I say um, I've been a cannabis patient here in the state of Ohio. And uh, prior to that, I've been using cannabis, uh, not knowing that I'm treating myself, but um, as I'm using different methods uh, of administration or delivery systems of cannabis, I'm starting to see that um, I, ha- I do have a go to. There is something that works for me. There is something that works almost every time for me, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. So so becoming a more mature cannabis user really um, highlighted the fact that um, I am endocannabinoid deficient or simply cannabinoid deficient. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And it's really, it's a moving story to know that you were diagnosed so young, you know, since birth, you were having sickle cell anemia. And that I'm thankful that after two blood transfusions, you know, you're good, you're healthy, you're able to share the story today. And I'm, I'm really interested in that in between area where like you're using cannabis either recreationally or unbeknownst, unbeknownst to us medicinally. And then you, like you said, you kind of mature into it and understand that like, Oh, this, this is my medicine. And I'm would love to hear more about what are the current kind of treatment protocols for sickle cell anemia and how do those fit into your life now? So it's interesting. I am still in the process of finding a primary care uh, physician, but um, I most certainly have my cannabis doctor on deck. It seems like they know a little bit more uh, how to treat my issues, uh, I hate to say it, but um, actually, I don't hate to say it. Let's be frank about it. I, um, I I think personally, a lot of folks with sickle cell, and I have a couple of colleagues uh, in the industry and outside of the industry that also um, use cannabis uh, for their condition. I think we typically like to use flour. We're very much into stimulating all the senses, and there's no better way than 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 uh, to get that entourage effect from the flour. Um, sometimes when you're using a vape, it's just like those terps are reintroduced and it's just not the same. It tastes a little stale sometimes. It's like, but sometimes you'll get a really good extract and, um, you know, and and it's just super flavorful, like some rosin or something like that. Like, that's what I really go for if I'm going to get an extract. Um, but I'm pretty much down for almost anything. I don't have any limits. I've tried every cannabis method of administration, uh, short of suppository, I'll, I'll have you know, but um, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rule that one out either. You know, maybe if I'm on a table and and it, and it needs to be done and it, and it saves my life, uh, absolutely, absolutely, cannabis suppositories all the way. But um, my daily one two is cannabis flower and edible. So I I use them simultaneously, or I'll say I guess concurrently. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing uh, wrong with that. I I hear all the time, like you know edibles kind of make you go throughout the day just because they're delayed release and they're delayed onset. And then, then you can like, you know, smoke or vaporize it whenever you need like the immediate relief. And so whenever we talk about relief, especially with like sickle cell disease, what I kind of see um, regarding sickle cell anemia and the patients that use it for medicinal cannabis, it's more so for like the pain, but I think there's also profound benefits of like vasodilation and some of the things there. And so it sounds like, you know, you're keyed into the terpenes that you like, but I'm curious as to anyone who's listening that might be looking for it for like pain relief or something. What do you lean towards? Oh, that's a wonderful question, Raven. I, I've been on and off discovering this myself. And obviously different strokes for different folks, the intensity of pain, uh, you know, if it's acute or if it's reoccurring or, or uh, you know, however you want to describe it, that phantom pain has a different level of attribute uh, per user, right? So. For me, if we're talking terpenes specifically over the course of me really discovering cannabis, um, I will say I came out of the cannabis closet uh, in 2013. That's when I actually joined the Cleveland Normal chapter 
Um, that's the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, Cleveland Regional Chapter. Um, actually ended up becoming the executive director shortly after joining and um, for about four years led a group and helped educate people and even educate myself along the way, learning about who paved the way before me, uh, especially when it comes to Ohio advocacy. And uh, yeah, terpenes is a really uh, rich conversation uh, currently, right? A lot of folks are isolating them and using them just by themselves for, for different reasons. Um, and they most certainly have a therapeutic enough advantage to do that. But when I'm using my cannabis, my flower, and I'm getting my entourage effect jumping off, I got my cannabinoid, my terpenoid, uh, and my flavonoid. Sometimes you get the paranoids, <laughs> uh, but uh, you got all the noids jumping off uh, with the entourage effect. Um, I have actually surpassed that paranoid uh, uh, stage because I'm a lot more experienced of a user. I think that happens a lot with novice users. Um, I, I won't say I don't ever get paranoid, but um, there are reoccurring sounds and different instances in my neighborhood and stuff like that. Where it's like when I'm stoned, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the guy up the street. That's the mailbox clanging down. It's nobody's out there get, to get me. All right. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Um, but, but, but to back to your question for terpenes, I like the lemon pepper uh, combination. That's what I like to call it. I like the little bit of lemon pepper and you know what I'm talking about. Oh, by yeah, those I know two. what you mean. Yeah. Come yeah, on, definitely. tell the listeners what terps I'm talking about, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, lemon pepper is definitely a quality one. You got your limonene in there. You'll have your beta caryophylline, which I hear is really, really good for um, pain as well. Specifically that. That's it. And you know, limonene is more sativa leaning, going to find it with limes and stuff like that. And like you said, I mean, that's a very, very good flavor profile. Me, myself, I lean more towards like garlicky gassy oniony that nasty bad burger breath that's what i like oh yes oh i don't rule that out either i always <laughs> say people the stankier the better as far as like deep therapy super intense pain um the the general staying alert and and, and pain-free is my beta caryophylline and, and limonene right that's my daily i'm i'm always good with those terpenes but when it comes down to it that skunkiness. Oh yeah. I need that too. That earth. Uh, you can't escape Mercine, right? Th right. This it's always in, in, in something. <laughs> exactly. Now you mentioned that you joined normal and eventually became the head of the, the executive director of the Cleveland chapter there, the Ohio chapter. And I'm really curious because that was a little bit before you became like a quote unquote official patient, you know? Um, so I'd love to hear more about that journey in between and how you got into education and advocacy specifically. Oh yes. So I would go back at least to the year 2008 when I was first uh, interested in voter registration during the Obama administration, that that inaugural campaign. Uh, I got really involved in registering people to vote and mainly black and brown people who lived in the area where I grew up, east side of Cleveland. So we went around those areas registering folks who had never voted for the first time, um, you know, and basically that experience really turned a light on and I was kind of more or less paying attention to politics more than I'd ever bef before, you know, because it was someone who looked like me and, and all black people don't look at the same, by the way, but he looked close enough to what I was grown up to, you know, respect, admire, represent people in my family. Right. He could be my uncle, man. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking at him like, yo, so I can, probably do this or I can influence others 
to have an agenda to help people, other people that look like me and, and minority groups uh, that, that are oppressed in, in all sorts of ways, right? You, you don't just see it in cannabis, even though we always talk about the racial disparity in cannabis, right? Black people are three to four times more likely to be arrested for cannabis possession than our white counterparts, even though the usage rates are the same, and that's courtesy of the ACLU, uh, those statistics. But um, you look at it across all life functions, being black has an association, a stigma to it already, right? When you go to get a loan, when you go to get uh, housing, when you want a car, when you healthcare. want healthcare, you know, they there was a long time, you know, if we go all the way back to Jim Crow and even prior to that slavery times, there was an assumption that black people didn't feel the, the same kind of pain that others did. There was an assumption that we had some sort of uh, innate ability, like we were Wolverine or something like an anti, like a healing factor or something. Right. The doctors were using like even bigger needles and stuff. It was, it's, yeah. it's, it's inhumane. Experimental trials. And also, have you ever heard a story of Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks, um, how they took her cells and, and, and use them without her knowing and, and helped create all sorts of care and um, different different healthcare treatments from from her genetic information. And, and um, you know, the family were fighting for years trying to get that back um, to, to, to restore that legacy. But um, Henrietta Lacks, folks, look her up. Um, she was a, a, a goddess. She was a godsend. And uh, without her, a lot of folks would have been um, in bad condition. But um, without her consent her genetic information was being used in scientific trials. And um, she was a black woman, right? So going without saying, but uh, yeah. So it's very important that we get connected to how cannabis affects us in many different ways. One, um, keeping the race thing in mind, there aren't many people of color, let's just say of color of general that own cannabis companies. When oh, we compare God, that yeah. to, you know, the uh white counterparts yeah i hate to say it but the industry that i've seen the industry that i've worked with is disturbingly caucasian yeah and it's, it's for, for what if you so on the one hand you associate us with cannabis criminality but on the other hand you don't let us work in the business that you criminalized us for so wouldn't we be some of the best sales reps for cannabis at this point Right. According to your logic that black all black people are, are, are criminals and whatever. Right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Just theorizing. Right. Like, wouldn't we be wouldn't we be the best people? Because dispensaries, I always say, is they're basically glorified trap houses. Uh, but anyway, back to the Obama campaign. Right. Unfortunately, under the Obama administration, we have the most dispensary raids ever to date. So just a little fun fact about uh, Mr. I inhaled. That was the point. I'm glad he did admit to using cannabis, though. That's what also uh, helped me like him a little bit more. And, um, you know, so I wasn't even involved in normal quite yet when I got involved with, uh, uh, you know, politics. It would be five years later in 2013 when I joined Cleveland Normal. And that is really when I started to fully engage with learning about cannabis burning a little bit more cannabis and sharing what I'm learning and, sh and, 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 you know, having folks, having an audience for people to actually listen and comprehend what I'm saying. This is really when I first stepped into the early phases of becoming an instructor. 
and what unbeknownst to me, right? Just going out and doing public meetings and speaking to people, speaking my truth about cannabis and also speaking what I've learned through the emperor wears no clothes and, uh, you know, other like Jack Herer activists and, uh, Jorge Cervantes, Ed Rosenthal, um, you know, let's not forget the, the Ohio legends shout out to Cher Newfer and, um, you know, all the other folks that was involved in Ohio normal. So I really started to learn. I really, I really was brought in by the, the hippie stoner community of Ohio back in 2013 and, and, and embraced my inner hippie as well. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful story and understanding how you kind of go from advocacy into directly something that care that you care about immediately. And not only that, but it affects your community in such such immediate, distinct ways. And that's kind of what, you know, I mean, you know how I align with the Harrington Institute there. I think that that's something that needs to be done. And advocacy, education is just like one of the most powerful forms of advocacy. And like, like you mentioned, we, I mean, hell, I got my Cervantes book right here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where you have to always take it upon yourself to learn and grow, to be able to educate others. And like, you, you just kind of find yourself in that position. So I definitely honor the passionate work you're doing to be able to end stigma, hopefully change a few minds out there. And like you said, it's an incredibly complex and very nuanced conversation. Like cannabis has a lot of things that is amazing about it. But whenever we talk about cannabis and then the quote unquote industry, there's so many things that are not so amazing about that. Like you said, the industry is disturbingly white and the people incarcerated are disturbingly not. So it definitely creates a certain type of paradigm that cannabis blows open all the hypocrisies of our quote unquote drug wars. We can really take it in stride and learn lessons for the future of them. And to piggyback off that, I would love to know, I mean, you kind of play an integral role in fostering the future of the cannabis industry out there, advocating out there, educating people who are joining the industry and learning more about cannabis yourself. I want to know what you would like to see for the future of cannabis as a whole. I would like to see this particular issue cause hobby drug right cannabis becomes those things when you make them those things the the plant is just sitting there you know it's a plant first right we it becomes a drug when we use it that way it becomes recreational when we do it that way which by the way i don't use the word recreational i only use it so people can understand what i mean when i say adult use exactly because there's no such thing as recreational unless we're talking about the blunt olympics right the 420 know, yard agree, yeah. hash dash <laughs> Right. Like, come Sign on. Me, like, right, the, me too. But until then, <laughs> we're talking about strictly therapeutic. It doesn't matter if you believe that you're using it for therapeutic uh, resources or, or not. Right. It's like you are using this plant to chill, to relax and, and uh, you know, to unwind. And, and those to me are therapeutic. And I, I truly believe that. But um, yeah, the. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what was your question? <laughs> oh, I, no, you're fine. Um, first, I just want to say that I agree with you wholeheartedly. One thing that I make sure that I always try to set the table with on either consulting or teaching is that all cannabis is medicine. Let's start there. For it's real. It's all medicine, no matter how it's being used. It's medicine. And um, my question to you was like, with your background in advocacy and education, I mean, you're, you're really playing an important part in fostering the future of cannabis. So what would you like that to look like? For instance, for me, my my indicator is home grow in every state. Yeah, there you go. Okay, no, I got you now. Um, sometimes I get a little lost with my anecdotes and I go back a little too deep, man, because it, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Every story has a story, man. I'm telling you, like every bullet point has a, a, an anecdote to it for me. 
the the bullet points of life that is but but raven um what i want the cannabis industry to look like is essentially where it isn't affecting the basic life functions right and that's what i was kind of going with when i was saying everybody uses it for a reason or it's always going back to the therapeutic reason i want cannabis obviously that would take federal legalization right but you can't destigmatize this overnight so we're going to have to have continuous education um i would also as a part of that federal law change mandate that all doctors go back to school and learn about the endocannabinoid system, preferably to the Harrington Institute or the Cleveland School of Cannabis to get their knowledge and that foundation and take all the clock hours that our students end up taking because it's unfair to the public that a physician has only two hours of a CME, uh, continuing education kind of course that qualifies them to recommend cannabis for you. And they don't know it from the man in the moon. And then they send you to the dispensary and the bartender are sitting there like, uh, this one's fire. Uh, yeah, this one, this one's great. And, uh, you want some shatter? Uh, we got that too, right? Like there's no one there. No one's educated. And that's all the way down to the doctor, unless you got a good doctor like mine. Hey, Dr. Bridget Williams. Um, but there aren't really too many doctors learning about cannabis. So I think once we end that federal, prohibition uh on all fronts the banking opens up right the states have the ability to opt into legalization if they want right hopefully they will right home growing all states that might not work because i'm looking at you idaho there are certain states that haven't even put simple decriminalization on the books uh so even on the federal level, if you say it's cannabis is legalized, you still have to put it into your state law, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. You're in a similar state as mine. You're in Pennsylvania. I'm in Ohio. We do a lot of the same things. And, um, you know, we have a lot of the same industries, uh, quite frankly, which is why uh, some folks call us rivals. But um, I am no rival of you, my friend, even though we both host podcasts. <laughs> no, definitely. And um, likewise, I'm a big fan of yours. So it does feel like it's coming full circle. It's very nice. And I agree with you. I think it's we're a long, long way away from home grow everywhere, of course. But I think you're right. We could take the right moves towards federal legalization or even just rescheduling to a certain degree that allows it paves the road for real research, real education. But and like you mentioned, it's going to take a lot more, a lot more continuous education to break the stigma. I mean, it, it definitely pervades every aspect of healthcare and every aspect of the every aspect of the plant as a whole like you said we kind of assign all these things to it from our own human perspective as far as like it's a drug it's a it's a fiber it's a plant etc because at the end of the day it really is just a plant sitting out there in the woods whatever it is is, is what it is mm -hmm. if you don't end up harvesting it all it's going to do is aerate the soil and make uh, whatever harvest there better for the next time. So even if we don't do anything with hemp, it'll heal the earth. Ain't that something? It's oh, like, I know it. Just I know let it, it grow. Let it grow. Exactly. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. <laughs> um, you mentioned like whenever you like Pennsylvania, whenever I get a medical recommendation here to be able to walk into a cannabis dispensary illegally, that's really all it is. It's really just a medical recommendation. You may have a doctor who's like privy to how cannabis works, at least to a certain degree. They're not required to know um, unless they take like the two hour course prescribed by the state. How I would love to hear more about your doctor and how you were able to find like a good qualified medical professional that understands the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, no, I was lucky to 
have known Dr. Bridget Williams of Green Harvest Health for quite a while before I became a patient. Not too long, but at least a couple of years before I actually became a patient. We knew of Dr. Bridget Williams because she actually does uh, work for the Cleveland School of Cannabis. So she teaches the endocannabinoid system herself. She actually is um, a longtime Cleveland Clinic doctor uh, who retired from there and then started her own uh, business. She sells CBD products. She does life coaching. She is a certified recommending physician for cannabis in the state of Ohio. Uh, and um, I recommend anybody in Ohio to go check her out because she's done the due diligence and sat down and educated herself so much so that she's now has has enough information to educate more people than what we are able to reach right she's she's going on speaking tours she's uh, popping up all over the country at different events i'm probably going to see her at uh, new in, in new orleans when i go uh i'm getting ready to go to the black cannabis uh expo and um i'm, I'm sure she's going to be speaking at that so dr bridget williams is just somebody who i trust um, she's a colleague of mine, right, in, in the cannabis instructor field, and um, she's just super intelligent. She she does her she takes her time to learn about the subject and apply the knowledge in an ongoing fashion, right? Because this industry is so nascent, something that came out last week is going to be dead in a couple of weeks, right? Something that we were talking about two weeks ago, you know, maybe even a day. Later, something becomes irrelevant in the cannabis industry because the laws change so quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I love folks who engage and don't have to be told by the state to do it, um, even though it is re a requirement at the very least. Um, her continuing education is on point. So if you can find a doctor who took it upon themselves to educate themselves about cannabis, the endocannabinoid phys physiology, which most people don't even know scepter rich system in our bodies right so i just want to let people know that right yeah thank you for sharing that it's really nice that you're able to find dr bridget williams to be able to kind of incorporate cannabis into your healthcare reg regimen now one thing that you mentioned how research and policy is constantly changing with cannabis something we learn now might not be relevant here in a few weeks a few months or even a few years what's something as you teach and as you educate others in the future of cannabis what gets you most excited kind of moving into the future um for example one thing that gets me really excited about cannabis is i think more growers and more cultivators are keying into how how the sun grown is actually better than indoor grown which seems seems ironic when i say it out loud that we're going back to the sun Right. I am um, someone who supports outdoor grown over uh, indoor, quite frankly, even though I know certain states, you know, weather wise, it'd probably be a lot better yeah, for them yeah. to grow indoors. Yeah, right. But that. but, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, for instance, uh, Alaska, for sure. But um, yeah, no. Uh, what gets me excited about the future of cannabis is the bright eyed and bushy tailed people that come through the classroom and they're just excited to join the industry even if it's at the lowest hanging cannabis fruit uh entry point right when we talk about bud tending right i i, I teach a dispensary operations course and um just having worked as a bud tender for almost three years myself being well, one of ohio's uh original key employees and um working at the botanist cleveland Wycliffe and Canton. Uh, so I ended up working out of three out of five 
of the botanist brand dispensaries, which are owned by Acreage Holdings. And um, I'm just excited because the younger generation that are that are coming into this industry, they don't have to suffer as much as we did when we grew up in D.A.R.E. Uh, and we grew up in Partnership for Drug Free America. This is your brain on drugs. There are so many young people across the aisle, Republican or Democrat, that just simply think enough is enough with this cannabis stuff. And it's like people just want to puff, right, just to keep the rhyme going. Uh, it's like let them alone. Who, what, what are they doing to you, right? Penalties against, you know, possession of cannabis, should not be more harmful than, you know, using the drug, which Jimmy Carter more or less said that I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, that's a true statement. It's like, you should not have more harm that comes from the law enforcement side for using cannabis than the actual harm that it's doing to you when you inhale it, which is pretty minimal. We're learning, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for the future of, of people who don't, who haven't been lied to as much, right? Coming into this game. Yeah, exactly. That definitely makes me excited. It's like both parts. Like you said, it's not only those who like have an understanding. There's already the walls of stigma has kind of come down. They have an understanding that it's not necessarily as dangerous as the generations above us or even our generation was told. And then additionally, like you said, the bright eyed, bushy tailed students who are so eager to learn more. Like I've never, I, there can't be another industry, maybe outside a niche industry like gaming or fitness or something. There can't be anything where literally everyone loves their job. Everyone's just happy to come to work today, even to do like menial labor, like a laborious job for 12 hours. Like it's, it's incredibly beautiful to see how passionate people are. And that's, that's really what makes me most excited is that it's a passion driven first thing. And we don't have enough of that in America anymore. Amen, brother. For sure. For sure. Well, I definitely want to be mindful of your time, Brian, but I do have one last question for you. Um, where can people find you and what's next for Blazing Enthused now that we fit the season finale? Oh, I love that you ask that. And um, shout out to the season finale episode. We had uh, the wonderful Shanitria Anthony on. And um, if you go back, you can listen to our entire catalog of episodes, one through eight of Blazed and Enthused. We debuted on Dab Day, 7-10-2022 this year um, as we record this. But um, yeah, we'll be right back in 2023, January with 18 brand new episodes. You can follow us at Blazed Enthused. If you want to learn more about me, everything is at B-N-G-C-L-E. That's Be No Good Cleveland, B-N-G-C-L-E. And if you look up my link tree, it's the same, B-N-G-C-L-E. Brian Bino Adams, y'all. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining the podcast, sharing with us how plants have saved your life. And more importantly, thank you for being out there, doing the good work in advocacy, doing the good work in education, You know, doing everything that you can to end the st stigma against these plants. It's my great honor and pleasure to continue doing Jaws work in the name of Rastafari. Awesome. That's all we have for this week, everyone. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Plant Save My Life. You can find Brian online through his link tree located down in the show notes. And if you like cannabis education featuring powerhouse guests and a fun vibe like you're just enjoying a sesh with friends, you should definitely check out his podcast, Blazin' Enthused. As always, if you like this episode of Plant Save My Life, please send it off to someone else who you know would enjoy it. 
Additionally, we'd be eternally grateful if you were to go ahead and rate us five stars and follow us wherever it is you get your podcasts. For questions, comments, and community, head over to our official Instagram at plantsavemylife.pod. Until next time, everyone, have a beautiful week.